0: Welcome to the new episode of the Swim Swam podcast. My name is Braden Keith, and today we are joined by the king of WorkWorks Nation, Mike Murray of the Victor Swim Club. How are you doing today, Mike?
1: Braden, what's up, man? Good to see you. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to talking to you.
0: Or the king or the czar or the democratically elected leader of WorkWorks Nation, however you want to describe it, but you um, have historically been the most vocal proponent for hashtag WorkWorks, which is just kind of this general idea of, um, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so, so we'll let you describe it at some point. Um, but the reason you're here today is because you sent out a letter to your team this week that you will be splitting your team into different groups. Um, and traditionally you guys have been a a higher volume program as I understand. And so I'm going to read an excerpt from this letter that I think is really interesting throughout the past year. We began to notice a real shift in the level of attitude, effort, and enjoyment in the senior level training program, especially for those swimmers who don't have the type of typical Victor swimming club background. Dan and I share the opinion that the majority of athletes in the senior group are not having fun at practice, which results in a lack of focus, effort, and poor attitude, and often lends itself to questioning why they swim in the first place. Um, therefore, our senior group will be divided into three main categories, middle distance, stroke, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, some of these practices will be reduced in yardage, and this is me paraphrasing, uh, more dry land, a little less work works. So, Mike, is this the end of work works?
1: <laughs> well, it's certainly the end of a type of mentality that we've had for a long time. And I shouldn't say the end because it's an evolving process, right? Coaching is a great evolution throughout your career. From early on, work works absolutely to me meant volume, grinding, pound. And when you're young and you have all the energy in the world, it's easy to live that every single day, especially when you're starting your career and maybe your team's made up of, you know, 15, 30 people, something like that. Um, Work works is not, has not always just been about hard work in the pool, right? It's a mentality that our athletes put the most quality they possibly can into whatever they're doing. However, you mentioned we traditionally have been a high volume program. And we have seen a lot of rewards based on that, not just in the distance events and the 400 IM, but we've had some great athletes in, in the sprint events as well. Although we never use the word sprint or sprint group. Um, you talk about breaking into three categories. I think what we're seeing, Braden, and what a lot of programs are seeing, and this was not a decision that we took lightly. I, I put a poll up, you and I talked about it on the swim coaches idea exchange. I saw many great programs and teams advocating for 90 to 100-minute workouts. I saw the traditional coaches on there talking about how they've never gone a minute less than two hours. Um, And we talked about this for a while. And so what we've done is we've divided our team into three groups. We have a middle-distance stroke group, a distance IM group, and then the flex group. And the flex group is those athletes who sometimes float between both. They might need a little bit of this. They might need a little bit of that. Um, And we're excited to see what happens. We've been doing some of the the gain program that a lot of teams have done over the last few years, the Vern Gambetta aspects of that. Um, We're not a gain team, but we've learned a lot watching what some of the other people have done. Um, And obviously, Coach's Corner and Fitter and Faster have been a great resource because I get to talk to so many different coaches. So. We're excited about changing our approach. Um, it's started this week, and um, I think I can tell just a little bit by the enthusiasm and the attitude of the athletes before the practice when they're looking at some new, fun dryland modalities. It's a little easier to wrap their head around a 90-minute workout than it is a two-hour workout.
0: Yeah. So I think what makes this so interesting, um, obviously you're one club in New York out of many clubs in the country, but what makes this interesting is it feels indicative of a more sort of national shift away from the eighties and nineties of pound the yardage, pound the yardage, pound the yardage. Um, and so you said a lot of interesting things that I want to unpack, but the first one that I can't ignore is you refuse to call anything, the sprint group. (laughs) Can you tell us more about that and, and what you're going to do with your sprinters?
1: Right. So it is a speed and power-based training program that we're implementing. We just bought uh, some Tritonware that we're excited to use and monitor our athletes. We've got some power towers that we've never had before. I mean, Braden, we're committing to this new approach to training. Um, and so I think if you look at the way that we explain things to our athletes, when they hear the word sprint, there's a whole laundry list of things that go inside their head when they hear that, whether it's doing 25s every night, whether it's only doing quality and power work through fifties. So I think some of that is, you know, regional too, because we are such a, uh, a high school based sport in New York state um, that when we start throwing the sprint word around, I think, certain ideas are generated in the athlete's head that might not necessarily be reflective of real sprint group.
0: So um, what are you going to do with your sprinters? I I know in your letter you kind of laid out that even within your middle distance group, there's going to be a little bit of a a subdivision.
1: Yes. Yeah, so they're going to go no mornings. So if, if you're primarily a 50, 100, 200 person, 200 stroke person, there's going to be no morning so we're kind of doubling down on sleep for that group um and the the dryland component is going to be increased so we call it what's warm up to swim we're calling their program what's plus so uh, we, we just got a we, we got some uh plyometric jump uh jumping platforms that we've never had before um we're incorporating a lot more body weight explosive movement pushing, pulling, crawling, um, those sorts of things. And, and, uh, I think that group's going to enjoy trying these new modalities.
0: How did you decide who was going into each group? Was it based on the athlete and their build and their body types and et cetera? Was it based on their interest level? Did you give them a choice? How much input did they and their parents have? How did you figure that out?
1: That's a great question. So the first thing, and, and this is coach speak, but we absolutely look at body morphology. And I think uh, we are doing that much more now than we have in the past. So, you know, whether they're ectomorph, mesomorph, endomorph, or they're a combination therein, we're really trying to consider that when we we look at where these athletes are going to be swimming. The other thing is, is it was a collaborative exchange with many of them, especially those with whom I thought had a great season, but didn't look like maybe they enjoyed every aspect of it. They certainly enjoyed the highs and the success that they had but I want our kids not to just enjoy the success at the end of the year that the training brings. I want them to really enjoy the process from a selfish standpoint on our team and and for the career of our coaches certainly helps us from a business standpoint. If our kids are enjoying it and wanting to come back. Secondly, they're going to swim faster if they're having fun. I told my staff this week, one thing hasn't changed in the entire uh, lineage of coaching and that's the athletes are going to have peak performance when they're enjoying the process. And, and that's really what we're looking for. So it was collaborative. We did speak to them about it. We talked to our parents. Um, and we have a parent advisory board that we bounce these ideas off of. I will tell you that it wasn't 100%. The staff wasn't fully on board immediately. Um, but the great thing about our staff is that we, we can disagree and have arguments and come out on the other side wanting to have the same goals.
0: Yeah. And I think there's, there's so many different ideas here. And I think it takes a ton of maturity as a coach um, not maturity in the traditional sense, but maturity in sort of the evolution, you know, Tyler Fenwick texts me all the time. Hey, I'm rebranding. I'm not an open water coach anymore. I'm not a distant coach. Tell your, tell your writers that stop calling me a distance coach. Um, you know, and most coaches frankly don't rebrand even from the time they're athletes, right? Most coaches go into coaching, doing more or less what they were coached to do, what their last head coach as an athlete or an assistant did. Uh, how, how much work has it been to, I, I know through your other work, you're, you're exposed to so much, but to really learn the fine points of how to use power towers and the Tritonware and all these other kind of tools and gadgets, has that taken a lot of effort and how would you convince other coaches who might be open to an evolution of their training style to approach that when they don't have access to all the best coaches in the world all the time.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and Braden, this is really self exploratory for me. Uh, I'm way outside my comfort zone and way outside my knowledge base and understanding of a lot of this stuff. So it's a step-by-step process. And fortunately our associate head coach, Dan Burke, uh, he's a younger guy. He's really interested in this. And I'm, I'm kind of following his lead uh, with a lot of this. These are some of his ideas. He brought uh, a new dryland program to us that I had never done before. I was traditionally a, a medicine ball. We're going to run. We're going to do calisthenics. We've completely changed that. So I've been following Dan's lead a little bit. Um, and I would say that to many head coaches is lean into your younger coaches. Lead into those young associate head coaches and find out what they can add to your program. There's a lot of value there. The the other thing is uh, we have to remember, and I know a lot of people think this way in my profession because there's so many great people who are coaches, but we have to remember at the end of the day, our reputation and who we are is not the reason why we get into this, right? It's about the athletes who are at your pool this afternoon, Um, you know, and and we're fortunate at Victor to where – we have some of those kids that I'm very comfortable working with and, and in their target events. And we have some athletes that I need to know that I have to grow to continue to give them what they need to be their best. So at the end of the day, you know, Alexis Keto has this great quote. She says, you have to meet the athletes in their space. Um, and that's, that's kind of our new mantra at Victor is we're not force feeding. We are giving these kids what they want. Uh, we're giving them what they need and we're teaching them to be collaborative with the things that they don't always want to do.
0: I love how many, how many great coaches names we've dropped already. And, and not just like great coaches in that they've had success, but great coaches in that they're the kind, they're like coach mentors almost. They're the kind of coaches that other coaches should be discussing ideas with. Have you, have you found, you know, you've talked about your swimmers, Um, some of your swimmers may be enjoying a 90 minute workout with more dry lands, a little better. Have you found yourself as a coach enjoying this either more or in a different way than you enjoy giving a, a pounding workout where you don't talk to your athlete, maybe for 400 yards or 500 yards at a time versus in this, where you might have a higher level of engagement with them.
1: Yeah. So one thing that you certainly see, um, right out of the gate, we, we did a lactate set last night. and one thing that we're seeing is a higher quality of swim with, with less volume and more rest. Obviously, you're going to see that. But because the last few days have changed to what they normally do, you know, it's kind of like a little three-day taper. You see a bump. <laughs> and we had what we call a couple, oh, my God, swims. We did a lactate set last night. They went four 400 IMs on 12 minutes. So a lot of rest. And three of our boys, you know, they're low four-minute, 400 IMers. They were averaging under 410 for the first time that we've ever seen. So for us, that's like some breakthrough that, holy cow, this is working. It's in the early stages. But that's one thing we noticed. The other thing we noticed, and I mentioned it briefly when we were talking in the intro, is uh, it's louder before practice in Hmm. those moments when they're waiting to get in or waiting to go into the pool area before the other groups finish. So I feel like there's kind of been this relief in that, okay, today we know that it's going to be a 90-minute workout. Let's fire up and, and get after it.
0: How much of this kind of training methodology are you planning on feeling your way through versus you know, taking detailed notes that you can come up with a system that can – I don't want to say static, because again, this is all about evolution, but something you can follow more closely. And do you have a sense of how long you think it's going to take you to really get comfortable with with this and what works and what doesn't work and how to move between groups and all of those kind of wrinkles?
1: You know, I think one of the exciting things and terrifying things about this job is you never know, right? You never know how long it's going to take before you see some of those changes take place. And the fun thing is you get to commit to a new set of ideas and maybe it works in the short term. Maybe we see some really great swims uh, in some early season long course meets. And then, you know, at the end of the season, we're, we're, we're kind of we're static, as you mentioned. And so then we go back to the drawing board and make adjustments. Um, and I think that's why it's so important this day and age to communicate to the athletes what you're doing programmatically so that they feel like, hey, this is great. This is a whole new thing. But I'm also playing a role in this. So I have to make sure that I'm telling coach how I feel every day, or what I think I might need. Um, The most successful seasons that we've had at Victor, um, and at some of the other places that we've been, has been when the athletes aren't afraid to say, Mike, you know, I I think, uh, I think one or two days, like I need to do a little bit less, or, hey, I think I need to do a little bit more during taper. So I'm hoping that this exploratory process of trying some new training is going to create a better relationship with the kids. I think initially they already feel like, all right, these, these coaches are kind of hip to how we're feeling and what's going on. Um, So now I'm a little bit more comfortable to say, maybe I need this or need that. I think for a lot of teams that, that type of dynamic has taken until maybe 2021, 2022 to really evolve. And, and I think COVID played a role in that.
0: Well, it, and it takes a certain level of trust, right? Because where I swam, if you gave the athletes that latitude, they were all going to be telling you, or, or 90% of them were going to be telling you they needed less. They needed a day off. Coach, I need a day off. Um, and I, you know, I think, I think kids are changing and and there's lots of conversation on the internet about this, about kind of get off my lawn stuff but i think one of the pros about how this generation is changing is they have a better connection between if i if i am trustworthy to adults they will trust me and it and it becomes kind of a feedback loop and i think that that's a cool thing in coaching i think that makes coaching so much more fun than just having a one way microphone where you're barking 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 i grew up in a program that was the coach's only goal was to see how close to your touch time he could get the interval and he didn't want to hear anything from you the whole workout because that meant you had too much rest and your interval need to be cut. Um, and I hated swimming. By the time I was done swimming, I hated swimming. So that's part of why what you're doing, I love it so much, is I think I needed something different to really love swimming. And I think that that this sort of begs another question, which is something that youth sports in general is grappling with. And are the athletes the product of your business or are the athletes the customer of your business? And I think to function on some level, they have to be a little bit of both. Um, But the customer thing is becoming more important. And so how, how much of this decision is Mike Murray, the coach versus Mike Murray, the business owner needing to make sure that his athletes stay in the sport and he keeps filling his lanes.
1: It's a hundred percent both. Right. Um, You know, because when you are running a club team, when you're running a business, you're always making sure that all the bills are paid, everybody's paid and that you're taking care of your people who, some of whom sacrifice great time with their families to add their value to our team. Right. So I'm all that's always in the back of my mind. And it 100% plays a role in what we do programmatically in the water. And I'm not afraid to say that because, again, this is part of the new evolution of training. You know, we are not as strong as we have been in past years from a talent standpoint. I want to make sure that all of the athletes who are on our team understand that we not, may not be at the level where we're winning LSC championships or finishing in the top five at Speedos or Futures or Juniors, but we want to get back there. And the way to get back there is to make sure that the customer experience is better than anybody else in our marketplace. So how do we do those things? Right? So it's certainly a big part of what we do and and it affects how we look at the way that we train. We don't want somebody to be force fed because we think they could be so good in this event or that event. We want them to say, you know, coach Mike, I had a great hundred free. I think my 200 free is going to be even better. And I'm close to the junior cut. Can we maybe try this? You know, now we have three different things to work with. We can put them in a distance group one night. If they want to get a little extra, they can flex if they feel like it, right. If they say, Hey, you know, tonight, maybe I want to work on my breaststroke a little bit. So we've created some athlete pathways, uh, which I think is really important. That's a phrase that my friend, Danny Corman, who who was an LSC teammate of mine growing up, she was out of Cal. um, She talks about athlete pathways. And I I think that we're trying to do that to both enhance our customer experience and the athlete experience.
0: Do you think this plays differently in an area like Victor, which is not a a teeny tiny place, but it's more rural than a lot of the swimming hubs in the United States versus a place like the DC Metroplex or West Houston, you know, some of the areas where you see the mega clubs with a thousand swimmers out of six pools, you know, in, in some of these places, there might be more of a, this is a high volume program. This is a quality program. Pick which one works for you versus you guys are trying to meet both markets. Do you think, I mean, do you think clubs should try to meet both markets regardless of where they are? Or do you think it kind of depends on on what the competitive environment is?
1: I think, Brayden, that's a great question. And that's a question that, you know, I would like to add to some coaches education because it's so important. And I'm certainly not an expert at it, but I think I've gotten better over time understanding who's walking through the door. Right In our situation, it's a little bit easier for us to evaluate and pivot because our marketplace isn't that D.C. Metroplex or that Houston area or Southern California swimming, um, who all do a, a phenomenal job of developing athletes, by the way. But we're able to really connect a little bit more with with families. Um, I tell my coaching staff all the time, I think at, at times we're a little too accessible. Um mm-hmm but we're able to really get a good read and pay attention to who's walking through the door more than we have in the past. For the first time in our club's history, we, we have a year round lesson program and I'm trying to instill in our coaches and our staff that you're building these relationships with the parents. Now we are going to get to know them better. If we know them very well, now we're going to get to know them better as they go through the process. Um, that was interrupted a little bit when I went down to long Island for two years. But I, I feel like we're getting back to that. So super important question for coaches to consider is that marketplace, engaging that marketplace and understanding who's walking through the door.
0: Is that part of what brought you back to Victor from the, the bigger club on Long Island?
1: What brought me back to Victor was, um, was really the ability to make my own administrative decisions, which they, they had not offered to me in the past. Uh, and we had a great experience on Long Island. Um, but the amount of people and messages that I was getting every day to come back, uh, was overwhelming. And then the ability to essentially write our own contract, um, was ultimately what did it.
0: Have you had any, you know, you're meeting, you're meeting sort of the needs of everybody. It sounds like, but have you had any families that have pushed back on this and said, you know, I know, I know. You're still offering my kid the distance group, um, the the work works group, the traditional work works group, but I, I think everybody should be in there. And I think what you're doing is a bad idea. You know, I I know your your notes sort of made it sound like maybe there was some pushback on why are we paying the same amount for less work. Um, you know, what kind of what has the response been from not just from the athletes but from the families in general?
1: I think overwhelmingly positive, Braden. And you know, we we lost some really talented kids over the last year and a half, just based on, you know, I, I think for some of them, it was too much, you know, too much volume, too much intensity. Um, and, and we pushed away some families, I think, based on trying to dig our heels in the proverbial sand philosophically. Um, and so, You know, it always hurts when when athletes leave. We certainly don't take it personally and we wish them the best uh, and and we want them to be successful wherever they go. But, you know, you never want to lose athletes and sometimes losing athletes forces you to consider, you know, there are some things that we need to change. And so as far as the implementation of the new stuff, it's been really positive so far. Uh, it's going to take time to see whether it, it it's really working or it's, this is just the adjustment phase.
0: What, um, what other sports in the Victor area are a big deal, you know, outside of the swimming competition? What other sports are you competing with for athletes? This is something I repeat over and over again that I think we're getting better athletes in swimming and we need to train better athletes differently than we train lesser athletes. And I say that as a, I'm tall, but other than that, I'm not like a a high, what I would consider a high class athlete. Um, I'm sort of a mediocre athlete. Um, So, I mean, do you think this, some of those kids that maybe started swimming and playing baseball and went to baseball, do you think this will have an impact on their decision to stay in the sport for longer?
1: I certainly hope so, Brayden. You know, we, one of the great things, um, about Western New York and the greater Rochester area is the love for athletics. We, we're really in kind of the breadbasket for lacrosse out here. You, you see uh, several Division I players get scholarship offers right out of Victor High School, and Victor Club Lacrosse is very successful nationally. Um, and so we, we are competing against, against that pool of athletes too. Baseball is huge, football is huge, soccer is huge. Uh, schools in the Rochester area are very parochial, right? So almost every high school has a club team. We're a little bit different than the other teams in the area that we, we have athletes representative of 32 different school districts in our area, which is really neat wow. and it creates an awesome dynamic. Um, but what I would like to see is that ninth, 10th grader who also plays a couple other sports sticks with the club when they start to get into that national group training and they start to make those first breakthrough s- swims, maybe at the speedo sectional level. Okay. Now, you know, do I choose swimming? Do I choose lacrosse? Can I do both? I want to have the ability to say, you can still do both and be dedicated to our team. Whereas in the past, I would have been like, look, man, you know, if you really want to be up here, you, you got to start making some decisions. And that still might be very true for a lot of them. Um, but I don't want to lose those kids because we're saying this or that.
0: So I've got one last question and it's kind of a big one. It's like a 50,000 foot question. Do you think this shift that you're making is inevitable for the sport of swimming? Or do you think looking on a 10, 20 year timeline, you know, is there still a spot for high volume pounding out the workouts, you know, thinking both athletes, um, interests of young people, pool space restrictions, all of these different things. Do you think in 20 years there will be many, if any, high volume programs left?
1: I think that there there will be, there will always be great coaches who have the ability to communicate to their athletes why certain work is important. And if you have the ability to do that, and inspire them with that and get them to believe in what they're doing. Whether it's this generation or five generations ago, if they believe in you, you can train them anyway. And we still see that in certain spots, right? I think on a macro level, if we wanna continue to get athletes in the sport, and we've all talked about at ASCA meetings, USA swimming meetings, we all talk about, all right, how many athletes did we lose over the last two years? How are we going to get back to that? It's that it, it's not the eight and under who's joining your developmental program. It's that freshman. It's that eighth, ninth, tenth grader who's good at a bunch of different sports and is coming to practice and he's seeing a six thousand yard main set and he's lost, or she's lost, right? Or they're lost. How do we get that person? to say, I'm sticking with swimming. And I think the way to do it is to to look at what you're doing and see if it's creating that spark at practice. And it's hard to create a spark at practice when maybe you're not a miler, maybe you're a great 50 freestyler, but you're looking up there and it's 3,100s on 110. (laughs) Might be time to make some
0: adjustments. Well, I always like talking to you, Mike, because, I, you know, every time we talk, I think this is the kind of coach I wish I had. Like, it makes me, it's sort of, it's almost therapeutic for me. It helps me deal with some of the demons I have from the coaches that I did have. Um, so I appreciate you coming on. Uh, we'll have to check up in six months or so and, and see how it's going once you've had a little more time to get your teeth into it. But thanks for a lot sure. for your time, Mike.
1: For sure. Anytime, Brandon. Appreciate it.